your goodness and your power and your mercy. I pray that you will turn our hearts towards you this morning and speak to us from your word. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, praise team. If you have your Bibles, join me. Matthew 28. Going through a series on discipleship. And we will end that series this morning, though. Um, we'll have an addendum next Sunday. We'll talk about it here in a moment. <clears throat> the end goal, the way we know we are winning, is not just by converts, though obviously we pray for those. The goal we have is to make disciples who can then make their own disciples. We, a month ago, we started in Matthew chapter 4. The first thing Jesus tells these disciples is that if they follow him, he will make them fishers of men. And then you get to this passage, and we see some of the very last words that Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. And he says, go and make disciples. Two bookends from the Savior to his disciples. In between the first saying and the last, all he does is show them how to make disciples. For three and a half years, he put on a clinic, so to speak, to his disciples. And what it meant to be a disciple and what it meant to make disciples. Yet, we have in our services, in our church and churches across America, thousands of people who can quote the verses that we're going to read today. What we call the Great Commission. We have thousands of people who have taught lessons on the Great Commission. We've had thousands of people who at the very least have heard sermon after sermon on the Great Commission. And yet those thousands of people have never made a single disciple. The crazy thing is, in church culture in America, we're just okay with that fact. People will say, that's the pastor's job, or we pay the staff to do that. That's a Sunday school teacher's job, not mine. It doesn't make sense just to memorize things, just to study things, and then to never do anything with them. God told us these things so that we would actually do them. Just consider, in our house, when we all get home after we've picked up kids from school and we get done with work, we get to our house, my wife or I will usually look at our boys and tell them, go clean your rooms. If they have homework, they have to do their homework as well. Um, before they do anything fun, go clean your rooms. But what if an hour passed by in our house, they walked down their stairs to the living room, they looked at me and said, hey, Dad, we have memorized what you told us to do. Listen, go clean your room. What do you think my response is going to be? I'm not going to go, oh, you boys are amazing. Let's, let me give you a hug. Of course not. What if they go, hey, Dad, I can say, go clean your room in Greek. Woo. Yeah. 
Or what if they said, hey, Dad, every Saturday night our friends are going to come over, we're going to go into our rooms, and we're going to study a lesson that says what it would look like if we cleaned our rooms. None of that's going to fly with me. So why do we think that it flies with God? God didn't just tell us to memorize it or to teach it. He commanded us to do it. James even reiterates this point. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 22, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Every follower of Jesus is called to be fishers of men. I mean, Jesus promised it. Follow me. He says, I will make you fishers of men. The intention of the Great Commission is that every disciple of Jesus makes disciples. It's not an optional command for just a select few. Evangelism and disciple making is for all of us. It is the Christ commanded, spirit empowered duty for every disciple to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should long to see people come to Jesus. This should be a burning passion within us that people around us know who Jesus is. Know what Jesus has done for them. And we are willing to live out the gospel for them to see and to hear from our own lives. It's our spirit-empowered duty to share the gospel. We should long to see people come to Christ, to see them get baptized into the church. We should long to teach them to obey every command that Christ has given to us. So that they might join in the process of making disciples themselves. Until... The nations are reached. That's what we'll be talking about this morning. What it means to make disciples. If I were to ask you to write down the question to this answer, uh, to, uh, the answer to this question, how do you make disciples? What would you write? What does that look like in your own life? Or maybe you would say, I don't know if I've ever really made a disciple. Let me encourage you. To remember that Jesus has commanded this for all of us, all of his followers. We are to go from this place and make disciples. We don't want to get to the end of our lives. Listen to me. We don't want to stand in front of Jesus someday and look back at what we have done for him. And realize that the one thing that he commanded us to do, we left for somebody else to accomplish. Let's look at the specifics of the Great Commission. Join me in verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That is a great way to start. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. All power is given. He didn't say hello. <laughs> he just looked at him and said, I got the power, man. It's me. And then he tells them what to do with it. Go ye therefore. And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are grateful for a day to get around your word as a church. I pray, Lord, that it will light a passion in our lives to reach others with that good news we've been changed by it we have 
been changed from the inside out. And now it is our duty to share the same love and power to those around us. Lord, help us to not get too busy. Help us to not let other things in life clog out our schedule so we don't have time to share the gospel. But make us mindful. Let us redeem each day for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen. Jesus looks at his disciples. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's telling us a reality that will compel us to give ourselves to these core commands that we find in this passage. That he is Lord over everyone and everything. By this point, he has lived a perfect life, Jesus has. By this point, he had died a death that you and I deserve to die on the cross. By this point, he had risen from the dead in victory over sin, hell, and the grave. He is about, in just a few moments, ascend to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. It's in this context that he says, I have authority over everything in heaven and earth. He is Lord. What had been prophesied in Daniel chapter 7 has become reality. He has sovereign dominion over all rulers and nations everywhere. Which is a good reminder for us to remember that right now Jesus is Lord over everything. With sovereignty, dominion, and power over all people and all rulers. He holds the kingdoms and powers and presidents and kings in the palm of his hand. He is leading and guiding all of human history toward the end when in Revelation 7 tells us that every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people will gather around his throne and give glory to his name. It says the same thing in Philippians. Look what it says. You know the passage. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Come on, church. That should be an amen. Sometimes people will say things like, I've come to the point where I've decided to make Jesus Lord of my life. It's interesting to say. Whenever you hear things said like that, realize that person really never had a choice in the matter. Jesus isn't Lord because we choose to make him such. Jesus is Lord already. What we choose is whether we will bow our knee to his lordship now or we will bow to his need and his lordship when it's too late. Think about what that means in our lives. As our Lord, hear me, our lives are his to direct. Every place we go, everything we do, he is Lord of our lives. He determines where we go, how we live, what we do. This is what it means to be a disciple. We die to ourselves, surrendering our right to determine the direction of our lives forever. He determines where we live, how we live, what we do. He has commanded us to make disciples and he can lead us to do that in all kinds of different ways. It might mean we stay where we are. Or it might mean he leads us to another part of the world. 
It's his call to make, not ours. Our lives are his to determine how we are to live. He is our Lord. Remember, he's not just our Lord. He has all authority in heaven and in earth. He is Lord over every people group and every nation of the world. Please get this point. Every nation in the world, Jesus is Lord over. There are a lot of people in those nations who are not bowing their knee or their will to him as Lord. And this is why we do missions. This is why we become followers of Jesus so that we can make followers of people just like that. We know he is Lord. And we want to proclaim him as such all over the earth. We want to tell others of his goodness, his greatness, and his glory. We want to proclaim his majesty and his judgment, even his wrath and justice. We're surrendered to his lordship, and we want to proclaim him as such to the world. Because he doesn't just deserve my glory. He deserves the glory of the entire world. And until he gets that glory, we have a job to do. And so he tells us, how to do that job. He gives us four things to do. Number one. Number one is share the word. How do we do this? Matthew 28, 19, and 20 give us step-by-step process. It contains only one imperative verb. We're going to talk about that one here in a second. In the original language, and that is make disciples. This is then surrounded by three participles. Going baptizing, and teaching. That's where we can see three of the four components that make up the essence of what the gospel is all about in spreading the Great Commission. The word go in verse number 19, do you see it? Go ye therefore. It's an interesting word. It doesn't mean to have a starting point and a finish point. We think of races. On your mark, get set, go. That is not at all what that means. Do you know what that means? That means as you are going. Jesus is saving. Jesus is saying, as you are living your life, as you are going from your day-to-day duties, going to your job, going to your school, as you go to the store, as you go and get gas, as you go and hang out with family, as you go and camp with other people, as you go and fish with other people, when you go on vacation, do you notice the word that keeps coming up? As you are going, you make disciples. We get the impression that this passage is only for full-time missionaries or pastors or staff people because like me, I went from Michigan to DFW. I left. In fact, when I left, one of the deacons prayed And he said, bless him as he goes. We think of missionaries going to foreign lands. That is not at all what this is talking about. Now, it can encompass those things, and those things are good. But what this is talking about, this is not about every disciple, as they are living their life, being a disciple maker. That's exactly what this means as we go. Can I tell you what this means? This means church doesn't have to have visitation programs. This means churches don't have to have specific times where we come in here and just go because the duty isn't to have a program the duty is to follow the mandate and the mandate is make disciples it's that simple jesus is telling his disciples on that mountain right before he ascends into heaven that they are to go and share the gospel 
with people who have never heard it before. That's the essence of evangelism, which is a fundamental part of disciple making. We need to think of it practically. Often, when those missionaries lead someone to Christ, I have talked to some. They will encourage those new believers to do something very specific. They tell them, get a pen, a pencil, and a paper, and to write down a specific list of people in their life who they know doesn't have Jesus, who has never accepted the gospel, who has never come to Jesus in faith. And then the next exhortation is this. Circle five or ten of those people who you are very likely to run into on a day-to-day basis and start sharing the gospel with them immediately. Did you hear that? There are missionaries around the world right now who have led people to the Lord, and the first thing they tell them, hey, we got to baptize you. No, it's not that. Hey, you need to join my Sunday school class. No, it's not that. The first thing that they're telling them is, you know people who need this too, and it's your duty to tell them as well. Friend, there is not an age requirement. There's not, hey, you got to be saved for three months to do this type of deal. This is a, once you get saved, now it's time to start working for Jesus. In light of that picture, I want to encourage you as followers of Christ, make a list of people that you know that don't know Jesus. It could be family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, people who either don't know Christ or don't know whether or not they know him. But circle a few of those names and pray for opportunities, pray for boldness so that God will work in their hearts and their minds, but most importantly, work in yours to make you a witness. You need to realize that God has put those people into your life for a reason. Think about it. He loves those people so much. He desires to have a relationship with them so much that he sent his only son to die for them. But his love for them didn't start, stop there. He also gave them you. He put you in their life knowing that you would be a believer so that you could tell them about him. Number two, you share the word, now you show the word. The next step in discipleship making after evangelism is showing the word. We are to go and make disciples, and then we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why would baptism be so significant to the Great Commission? In the essence of disciple-making, why is baptism so important? According to Scripture, Acts chapter 2, Romans chapter 6, Matthew chapter 3, baptism is described as the public identification in our lives that we are followers of Christ. In baptism... We identify with him and with the gospel. Romans 6 tells us that we are to be put in water as a picture of death to sin. Then we are raised out of the water as a picture of being raised in life with Christ. We see in Ephesians 2 that baptism is a picture of being publicly identified with Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Showing that we are now followers of his. But it goes even deeper. Not only are we identified with the life of Christ, but we are also identified with the body of Christ. Baptism takes place in the context of church. Joining a community of other believers who are also identified with Jesus. When we are baptized, we're saying, I belong to Jesus as a member of his body, the church. 
This is so significant in the process of disciple making. We share the word so that they may believe the gospel. Then we show them the word through the baptism and uh, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They need to understand that their life is now identified, not just with Christ, but also with the community of faith. Hear me. When you get baptized, you're saying, I'm a Jesus follower, but I'm also with you for the long haul. It's not just a vertical thing. It's a horizontal thing, too. I'm saying I'm in this with you. We're going to have some good times. We're going to have some bad times. But we're in this together. We're identifying each other with one another. God has specifically designed churches as a place where his disciples can grow and mature. Because they see in the church, listen, what following Jesus should look like. Hear me. Church. I get frustrated because so many of us get upset about stupid little things. And you know what the devil's doing? He's cheering in the background. You can get upset about things at our church. In fact, you can get upset about a lot of things. In fact, there are times when I get upset about things at the church. But I realize that I can't expect any of you to be perfect, and you shouldn't expect that of me. My wife can tell you story after story, proving the fact that I am not perfect. But what that should tell us is that it's the devil trying to get our mind's eye off the real goal. And the real goal is to act like Jesus so that we could spread the gospel. That's the real goal. People need Jesus, not your opinions. Ooh, that was good. Come on, church. If you're upset about something, can I give you some great advice? Build a bridge and get over it. And then tell somebody about Jesus. Think about it this way. Imagine you are to lead somebody to Christ tomorrow. Whew, let me tell you, there's nothing in the world like it. I've been there for both of my boys when they were born. There's definitely nothing in the world like that. <laughs> um, but then, I've had the opportunity to lead people to Jesus. You'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. It will change you for the rest of your life. And it'll be something that you're like, I want to do that again and again. By God's grace, man, you get to share the gospel with somebody. They believe in Jesus. That new believer then is sitting there. How are they going to begin to know to grow in Christ? How will they learn to study the Bible? Now, for example, you could give them a book, and there's good ones, on how to Bible study. Or you could recommend they go to a particular Bible study in the church. And those things could be helpful. But wouldn't it be far more helpful if you sat down with your Bible and told them how you personally study your Bible? Tell them, I read a chapter of scripture, and here are the questions I ask myself as I'm studying God's word to help me understand what I'm reading. Here are questions that help me apply what I've read to my own life. Here is how it affects the way I pray. Here's how this passage affects my decision making. Here's what I do when I don't understand something. When I read a passage and I don't understand the words or I don't understand the context, here's what I do. 
to get to a point where I understand it. And Christian, don't get discouraged because there are plenty of times when I read the Bible and the only expression I have is, what does that mean? Right? Don't get discouraged. It happens to everyone because this Bible is deeper than we will ever get. Isn't it better just to show them? How about this? How is that believer going to learn to pray? Now, you could give them some books on prayer, and there's some great ones. You can show them some great sermons that preachers have preached about prayer, and there's some good ones. Those can be helpful, but wouldn't it be far better to invite them to your quiet time and say, I want to show you how I pray. I want to show you what I've learned about the role of praise in prayer, of confession in prayer, about intercession in prayer. When my mind starts to wander in prayer, here's what I've learned to stay focused. Again, you show them how to pray. Think about all the facets of the Christian life. How can you show them how to follow Jesus? Maybe you're thinking, wait a minute. In order to show them, in order to show anyone else how to study the Bible, I've actually got to know how to study the Bible myself. In order to show somebody else how to pray, I have to know how to pray. You start to realize that God has designed disciple-making not just for others to grow in Christ. He's actually designed disciple-making for us to grow in Christ. God's got this whole thing rigged. He does. He's designed disciple-making not only for others, but for you as Well, hear me, I'm convinced that every Christian, every follower of Jesus is going to come to a point where they completely plateau in their relationship with Jesus. We're going to hit a ceiling at some point as long as we're just living this out for ourselves. But if we're living to see other disciples grow in the image of Christ, grow in the word, grow in prayer, grow in evangelism, grow in disciple-making themselves, then we have to show them what all of these things are. And along the way, we go through that glass ceiling, so to speak. I remember the first time I ever shared the gospel. I was in middle school. A buddy of mine and I were... Um, it was during summer break and we were out of school and one of the church's mentors for me called me and said, hey, would you and your friend want to go to the go-kart track and arcade and hang out for a few hours? And what middle school boy would say no? <laughs> so we went. We get there. He showed us what he was doing with his video camera. Um, it was kind of this time frame. They used to do this all the time and he was going around asking people questions, these teenagers about what they believed about religion, about what they believed about different things. So we ran around this place, and he would ask teenagers what they believed about God. Then he shared the gospel with them while he videoed them. But after he had asked a certain teenager, three or four of them in, he put the camera down and said to them, it's interesting what you're saying. Because my friend Andrew here has a relationship with Jesus as well. Andrew, why don't you share with him what you know about who Jesus is and what it means to have a relationship with God? And I went, nope. (laughs) But you know what happened? All of a sudden, 
I was thrust into this moment with a teenage boy that I had really not ever met before. And it forced me, after watching him do it three or four times, to go through it myself. Can I tell you what, what's the best thing for me? Not just having me watch, but having me do. This implies doing life together. Simply stopping and doing life with one another. Intentionally going out to dinner with someone. Pick somebody today. Talking on the phone with them. Going to a coffee shop and showing someone how your faith works. Remember, you can't do this with everyone, so pick a few people that God puts on your heart and show them your faith. Do you know what discipleship is? Think of our youth pastor, Parker. Just consider. I'm going to guess Parker has talked with you about a number of things. I'm hoping some of that is Jesus. He's our youth pastor after all. But I know that he has talked with most of you about this hobby he has. He loves to take a Frisbee and throw it at a chain link goal. They call it disc golf. I'm going to guess some of you have maybe even gone with him to go play disc golf. Do you know what discipleship looked like? If you're around Parker, he's going to have it on his phone. Am I right, John? I don't know. Is there a tournament this weekend? Next week. See, he already knows. <laughs> There's a tournament next weekend. He's going to have it on his phone. You know what they watch? They don't watch cartoons in their house, those poor kids. They watch other people play disc golf on the TV. Can you imagine this? Um, uh, he has probably taken some of you to go play disc golf. Do you know what is a passion in his life? Disc golf. And so he talks to you about it. He shows you it. And he takes you to it. You know what discipleship is? It's a passion about Jesus. Where I talk to somebody about it, I show it to them, and then I make them work it out. It's as simple as that. We have made this too complicated. Jesus picked 12 men. Do you know that those 12 men were about the most average, ordinary people that he could have found? And then he didn't leave them with this huge strategy to change the world. He gives them a two-word command in the Greek. Make disciples. That's it. Do you know why he picked those guys? And do you know why he made it so simple? So that you and I could come to the one conclusion. Anybody could do this. Anybody can do this. You don't have to go to a seminary to accomplish this goal. You don't have to have a degree in biblical studies, or you don't have to know Greek to understand how to do this. All you need is a passion for Jesus and the want to. That's it. Number three, teach the word. You need to know that the word teach in verse 19 and the word teach in verse 20 are two different Greek words. One simply means to formally teach in verse 20. And in verse 19, the only command in the two verses, the Greek word teach means make disciples. How do we make disciples? You share the word, you show the word. Then you teach the word. Teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded. 
Remember in Deuteronomy 6, we talked about it last week. God speaks to his people about how his words should be saturated in their conversations. When they're walking on the streets or in their homes. Essentially, it's passing what the word has taught us on to others. Here's my question for you. Are you a receiver of the word or are you a reproducer of the word? To understand the difference, let's consider people in Honduras. I remember sitting with a group of Christ followers in a small little mud hut in Honduras. My dad was teaching the word to them. I sat like this, like most of us today. We are taught from a very young age. Stephanie Spivey can back me up here and other teachers, Ms. Cheryl can back me up here. You teach the students, look at me, look at me. On that day, not a single person was looking at my dad except for me. You know what they were doing? They were busy writing out what the interpreter was saying. Many of them, word for word. I got up after the service and I asked my dad, why did they never look at you, dad? I actually thought it was kind of rude. My dad asked the interpreter, and he said, this is something they always do. Because they realize that they're the ones that live close enough to come, but they have families in other villages that can't get there. And so they write it all down so they can take it to their family's houses and do the exact same thing. Listen, are you a receiver only? Or are you a reproducer as well? That's disciple making. Um, uh, Will the word of God stop with you or will it spread through you? This is disciple making. When every disciple of Christ shares the word, shows the word, and then teaches the word. We're going, we're baptizing, and we're teaching people to obey everything Christ has commanded. Number four, and I'm done. Serve the world. What Jesus is telling us is that we are to share, show, and teach the word of God. We are to do this in all nations. Did you notice? It says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Everywhere we go. We, the fourth component of disciple making is an intentional focus on seeing disciples made among all of the peoples in the world. What's interesting is the term nations doesn't speak of nations like we think of them. It doesn't speak of the United States as just one border. No, it speaks of the people groups within the nations. I mean, if you go to the United Nations today, they'll tell you there's over 200 nations in the world. But realize that there are over 16,000 people groups within those 200 nations. It's not enough to send one missionary to one country and think we've done our job. This should make sense. Go to the city of New York. That's one city in just one nation. But there are so many different ethnicities, groups of people who speak different languages and have different cultures. Yes, there are 200 geopolitical nations around the world, but anthropologists and mission scholars have identified over 11,000 distinct groups of people in the world, each sharing a, uh, different languages and cultures. Jesus commands us, his disciples, to make disciples in every single people group not just in a nation how can you be a part of that every morning you should start your day 
on your knees, bringing specific groups of people to the Lord. Today, I was praying for the people in northern Thailand where there are over 200 million people and only a handful of believers. In groups like this, pray that disciples will be made. Second, you can give your resources for the spread of the gospel. I can't think of one thing better to spend my money on than to give my money to organizations, to churches, to missionaries who are taking it to places that I can or never will go to. Give them resources that God has given to us. Or perhaps God is going to call some of you to do short-term mission work. I can promise you, I can point you to a missionary today. That if I told them that I had a man or a woman that wanted to come and help them in their mission work, they would probably help you pay for your ticket. They would love to have you in their field helping them do God's work. But maybe some are here, and God is calling you to do even more than that. He is calling you to sell everything you have here, to move to a foreign land, and spread the gospel to people that aren't like you, that don't know you, that don't speak your language or have your culture, because you get a burden in your heart knowing that if you don't go, who will? And those people need Jesus, too. The bottom line is that every follower of Christ is intended to share the word with people who don't know him. We're to show others what it looks like to follow him. We're to teach others the word of God that, has, that he has entrusted to us. Our ultimate aim is simply telling God and others that we want to give him glory, the glory that he deserves. So today, a simple question. Will this word of God stop with you, or will it spread through you? Will you please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? How long have you been a Christian? How long have you been a follower of Jesus? It's been a few months. Has it been a couple years? Has it been decades? Hey, follower, when was the last time you led someone to him or you made a disciple? Church, when was the last time you obeyed the Great Commission? If you haven't, Man, you need to repent. 